0: Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer,
1: Tracy Breen. Welcome to the show. On this week's show, we're going to have on John Schaefer. John Schaefer owns an archery pro shop in Burnsville, uh, Minnesota, called Schaefer Performance Archery. He is also the maker of the XV Aero Rest the Opposition Air, both both great high-quality products made right here in America. If you're looking for a bow rest that solves all the problems that many rests are known for, check out the Schaefer XV. It actually glides away instead of dropping away like most rests. It actually has a pylon that holds the arrow in place from the left and right and then gets out of the way when you shoot the bow. A great innovation, the Schaefer XV. Uh, he's also a Matthews dealer and a PSE dealer, and a white dealer. He's got a really good shop there in Minnesota. And today we're going to talk about how the pandemic affected the archery industry and bow hunting in general. Uh, And and it's good news for the archery industry and bow hunters in general. There was more of us in the woods this past fall, more people learning about the sport. And although we don't want an overcrowded woods, uh, we need the voices, and we need the license sales, and we need hunters Uh, So the good news is there was more hunters out there this past year. We're also going to talk about a brown bear hunt that John Schaefer went on. He's been on a lot of exciting hunts all over North America America over the years. And today we're going to talk about a brown bear that got a little too close for comfort, uh, actually inside of about 20 yards from him. So let's go ahead uh, and thank my sponsors. Before we get John on the show, I'd like to thank my title sponsor, Redneck Blinds. Makers of uh, some of the best fiberglass blinds on the market today. Fourth Arrow Camera Arms. If uh, you want to film your hunt, check out Fourth Arrow Camera Arms. Wind scent. Makers of a unit that actually vaporizes uh, deer urine. And when it's vaporized and heated up, before it's vaporized, deer can actually smell it from a greater distance. And you don't have to worry about human contamination when it's vaporizing scent, much like you do when you're pouring deer pee on the ground. Morale Targets, makers of the High Roller Target Huntworth Clothing. If you're in the market for some new hunting clothes before the spring turkey season, check out HuntworthGear.com. They have some amazing clothing that won't break the bank. Pine Ridge Archery, makers of the Nitro Vein, one of the best veins. Four arrows on the market today, Lucky Buck Mineral. Now's the time to put mineral out. Grim Reaper Broadheads, American-made Broadheads. They're just awesome. I've been using them for over a decade. They work great. Once again, Schaefer Performance Archery. Illinois Connection Outfitters in Pike County, Illinois. <clears throat> the Outdoorsman's, makers of amazing tripods and backpacks for hardcore hunters. And last but not least, Wilderness Athlete. We all need to shed a few pounds, at least most of us do. Check out WildernessAthlete.com. They have some great nutritional products. My favorite, their Hydrate and Recover Drink. and Enter Drop 10 at checkout and get a discount. Now, let's go ahead and get John on the show. Welcome to the podcast, John. How are you today?
0: Doing fine, Tracy. How
1: are you? Oh, it's warming up here in Michigan, so so things are good. You know, spring's coming. Um, yep. I wanted to have you on today and just talk about uh, bow hunting, the positive effect COVID has had on archery and bow hunting and, and kind of all things bows. So as a pro shop owner, as a rest and, and site manufacturer, How has COVID affected your business and the industry as a whole?
0: So it was an interesting thing. You know, a year ago, we, like so many other people, were in kind of panic mode. And we started hearing about these shutdowns and, you know, forcing businesses to close and, you know, a lot of uncertainty. And what ended up happening, we just were really fortunate as an industry, the combination of. People getting checks from the government, people having much more free time, and we being told to stay away from everybody else all really played well into bow hunting and equipment sales and getting more hunters out into the woods. So we, for the first time in in my life, been doing this for decades, we actually had trouble getting bows and product for our customers. I mean, things were just horrifically backed up. So it was uh, just a, just an interesting turn of events, and we're you know, very fortunate and lucky to be able to put a lot more people out into the woods with new bows and new equipment.
1: What was interesting to me when I would talk to you about this subject, you would tell me some of the guys you were selling bows to, a lot of them were like, First timers. They, they were people who had never even tried the sport. Is that correct?
0: Lot yeah, lots of first timers. Um lots of new people, you know, a lot of conversations like, hey, you know, this is something I always wanted to do. Now I've got the time, now I got a little extra money, you know, whatever the case was. And uh we put a lot of new a lot of new people out into the woods, so that was really great. Um you know Used bow sales—we couldn't keep used bows in because it was so much of of that type of customer who just wanted something to get out there, not necessarily come in and buy a you know thousand or two thousand dollar setup, but just something to get out there and play the game. And you know, low-end bows, you know, entry-level bows, I should say, and uh, used bows were virtually impossible to get. I mean, we, we were fortunate that we carry a lot of inventory in our shop, so we were. Pretty good, but it was as tight as I ever want to see it for inventory on our end.
1: Sure. Now, when you when you're talking first timers, are these guys who grew up gun hunting at least, or some of them literally have never hunted before?
0: It's a mixed bag, Tracy. It's uh, you know certainly a lot of them. You know, being our our store is located in Minnesota, and you know just just outdoorsmen in general, whether whether was fishing or bird hunters. Um, you know or gun hunters for deer that's kind of the first wave of guys who come in but then we also had just a lot of people who were just you know with with watching stuff on youtube and outdoor channels and that sorts of and, and those sorts of things and even more fringe stuff like some of the weird tv shows that are out there that have people with crossbows and bows running around you know that's kind of the second tier of customers we kind of call them and Lots of those guys coming in just looking for a recurve or like I said before, just something to use just to just to just to get out and do archery, not even necessarily hunt, but just go to the local ranges. Um, We're fortunate in Minnesota. We have a lot of public ranges and people drive by those things. And, you know, might have thought a lot of people said I've been driving by these archery ranges for years and it's always something I wanted to do. And now I've got some time. So let's give it a shot. So you know, a lot of new bow hunters and certainly a lot of just new archers in general, all of which is really good. You know, it's good. good it's a, If there's a silver lining to this pandemic, that's, that's one small one that we saw.
1: Now, do you think it's got legs? Do you think uh, a large percentage of these people will still be flinging arrows five years from now?
0: So, uh, you know, I would like to think that a large percentage will, but I just know from experience that even in normal times, you know, a lot of people get into our sport and for one reason or another and, uh, you know, that's one of the things that's not so great about this sport is you sell a guy a new bow and a lot of them just don't stick with it. You know, bow hunting's hard. Shooting a bow can be kind of hard and tricky. Um, so the attrition rate in our sport is never, is, is always some somewhat of a concern of mine, uh, having this many new people get into the sport, certainly a percentage of them are going to stick with it, you know. So, it's, yeah. so it's good, you know. I think net net we're going to end up with more bow hunters and more archers because of it. I mean, um, I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if the majority of them will stick with it, but certainly a percentage of them will stick with it, uh, all of which is great for our sport.
1: I, I'm sure the ages were across the board, but if you had to come up with kind of a median age of, of the new customer, what was it?
0: Man, Tracy, I, I would tell you that it was really, really broad-based. I mean, we, we had, you know, with all the kids being home, we had a lot, of, a lot of parents bringing their kids in, you know, just to get their kids some other activity to do outdoors, get them out of the house. Um, you know, young, middle-aged people, you know, who are normally pretty, Deep and buried with their career and families, and just did not have any free time. Well, now that they are forced to be home and not going on the business trips and those sorts of things, that was a huge chunk of those customers. Um, older people, you know, the, the more, more, you know, let's call them maybe close to elderly or elderly. The people who were absolutely weren't supposed to be around people. We had sold a ton of bows to them too, just so they could get out of the house and go to the park and shoot a few arrows or shoot a few arrows in the backyard just for something to do. I mean, it was really, really broad based. So we've, we've never seen anything like that in our industry.
1: Now, did you have guys come in after the season, uh, showing you grip and grin pictures?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was lots of that, of course, you know, so it, it was, you know, it was good. I mean, people coming in showing us pictures of the doe they shot or something, you know, just all pumped up and, um, you know, as as we all know, who do, who who have been doing this at all, um, there's really nothing quite as exciting as pulling back on an animal and putting an arrow through the lungs. I mean, if that gets that gets the blood really pumping, it's an exciting exciting thing. So, had plenty of those conversations.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, yep. Now let's talk about uh, archery tackle in general. Uh, you're kind of go- a guru in that avenue uh no ata show this year so new gear is kind of trickling out there uh at a slower pace kind of talk about some of the new technology that you see in bows and and where it's been headed the last you know five years
0: so to, to your question and to your point some of the stuff is trickling out but but with the way that the supply chains and lines were disrupted last year we saw a mixed bag of, of what, how companies responded, had to respond, wanted to respond to getting new product out. I mean, some of the companies because they had supply issues with their current supply, they released their new stuff earlier. We had, you know, the opposite with other companies where stuff was released later. Um, You know, just as I kind of alluded to a few minutes ago, supply was really a, a, a challenging thing and some of our companies were backordered prior to their mandatory state shutdowns. Uh, you know, Matthews was roughly eight weeks back ordered before the pandemic and then Matthews had to shut down for two months. So you can imagine what kind of a bottleneck that created. Yeah. Um, so it was, it, you know, you had, you had to stay on your toes as a, as a shop owner or as a manufacturer. Um, just you know stay ahead of that as as best you could but you know we ended up with some really nice offerings from from the bow companies you know Matthews Hoyt PSE um our strongest seller so far you know it's early in the year but our, our strongest seller so far is Matthews with their V3 bows that came out with two new two new hunting bows I should say uh the V327 and the V331 um wickedly smooth quiet bows to shoot Um, they use their same switch weight cam that they use the last couple years it's a really nice proven flexible cam package which allows you to change the peak weight of the bow just by changing the little module on each of the cams so you can have you buy one bow they all have the same limbs on them and you have a Really have an adjustment range with a little bit of tweaking all the way down to 40 pounds and all the way up to nearly 80 pounds just by changing those little modules.
1: Wow! Um, so
0: that's a that's been a really popular, popular feature. Uh, the tweak on the new bow, the B3, they move the cable guard lower. Uh, it's mounted at an angle now, so it puts it dead center between the two cams. So cam timing is a little easier to set and seems to be maintaining timing better than ever. Uh, they changed the limb angle to make the bow smoother and quieter when you shoot it, so less recoil, less vibration. Um, pretty rare that somebody shoots that bow and isn't super impressed with how smooth and quiet that bow shoots. So that's been a, a real home run, and they have a few new color options as well. Um, so that, that's that been great. Cool. Hoyt, has, uh, Hoyt has, a, has, has their Ventum bows and then the new rx5 all the new white bows have new cams Um, quite a departure from their cam and a half they've had for the last 15 years so that on our end that new cam package is really nice because it's one base cam and then they have two different modules to accommodate all the draw length ranges whereas before they had three different cam sizes with either a variety of uh, either uh, the right combination of modules to to fit all the draw lengths. So it's this way you can buy one bow, and between the two modules, you can fit virtually anybody. Uh, Also, very smooth and quiet to shoot. Uh, The Venom and the RX-5 are really similar bows. One has an aluminum riser. One has, of course, the RX-series has the carbon riser, so a little lighter little warmer on the hand and the in the when it's cold so that's been a great bow we've been selling a lot of those things too so
1: mentioned psc too share. you know it's it's interesting um psc's been around the longest you know of, of a lot of the bow manufacturers out there and and continues to produce you know pretty cool stuff and a lot of times at a decent price point
0: PSE, we do really well with their uh for for our shop what, what we call their entry-level bow it's a, which is a stinger max uh bow sells for three ninety nine dollars and it's you know got some really great features and great feel for that price point so we we move a lot of those out uh and on the other end of the spectrum their Mach 1 Stealth which is the carbon fiber riser uh that bow weighs just a tick over three pounds. Wow. And if you want to see somebody be impressed, just pull one of those babies off the shelf and put it in somebody's hand. everybody, you put it in their hand, they, their jaw drops. It's just how lightweight that bow is. Normally when you have a bow that's, that's that light, when you shoot it, it can be a little disappointing because it's, it's harder to control the vibration and noise when the bow is that light. Uh, the Mach 1 is very different. It's incredibly smooth and quiet to shoot, and it weighs to tick over three pounds. It's really a really a great bow. They've got a great cam system on there that's very flexible for let off, uh, draw length. Uh, cam timing holds really, really well with that cam. It's really a nice system. So that's been a great bow, too.
1: Now, what did they do to that bow, being that light? I mean, what are the little tweaks they've made to... Make it a smooth shooting bow.
0: So, compared to the previous generation carbon bow, they laid back the limb, so the limb is more parallel um, than it was on the previous one. Um, and then they changed. They changed the the carbon fiber riser is a little different than the earlier generation. Also, so um, really, really a stiff riser. They made the grip nice and small also, so it really fits the hand well. It's just—it's really a great bow.
1: Cool, cool. You know, they, uh, I mean, how long has Pete been around? You know, I mean, what are we, Pete Shepley, is well, it 40 his years?
0: Started, it, his company started in 1970, which was uh, the year I was born, so quite a while.
1: Wow, and still spitting them out, you know, year after year.
0: Yep, they do a great job down there
1: very cool what other are you seeing anything on the accessory side or, or any cool things that people are asking for you know as we come into this new season
0: you know I guess not nothing in particular it's just you know good quality sites seems like people are much more willing to spend money on a good quality site now um, we sell lots of high-end sites uh, aero rests. You know, good, good follow away rests are kind of the norm now. Um, so, you know, I, I would say just that kind of a trend, I guess, or uh, maybe the new era. People do not mess around with accessories. They put the good stuff on.
1: And, of course, that equals, you know, long range accuracy. So so maybe we talk about that. You used to be a competitive archer. Um, you know, how has all this technology changed that game? You know, a 20 yard shot used to be the norm. And it might still be when guys are bow hunting whitetails, but a lot of guys are driving tacks at 50, 60, even 80 yards. Uh, how has technology played a role in that?
0: So, when you look at, at everything now, you know, the packages that we put together for people every day in the store, it's, you know, I call it target level, target level accuracy. For the bow hunter, you know these bows. You know the combination of the bows, the rest, the sights, the stabilizers. It's remarkable how two things, I guess, you can take a brand new shooter who's never shot a bow in their life. We put the whole thing together for him, get it all fitted to them get it all tuned up, teach them how to shoot it. They walk out of our store shooting baseball-sized groups at twenty yards. You know, 20, 30 years ago, guys would have to shoot all summer or years to get that. But now, that's just kind of a a normal deal. Um, And the other thing is, you take an experienced archer, there again, years ago, it used to be a big deal to buy a new bow because you'd have to spend all summer getting the thing dialed in. Um, Now, you can take an experienced guy. They can come in with their bow. We'll switch everything over, get them set up with a new rig and they're shooting, picking up right where they left off a half hour earlier. So it's, uh, the stuff is just really nice to use from, from a standpoint of really solid back walls. When you draw back, so there's no ambiguity on where you hold the bow. It forces you to be consistent every time the amount of let off. So you can actually relax. The grips are nice and small. So you're not torquing the bow as easily. um, and then just the joy of shooting them, being smooth and quiet. It's just, the stuff is really, we're, we're really lucky. We're in a really great era of having just fantastic equipment for these guys.
1: So for all the guys out there who really want to, you know, hit a dime at 50, 60 yards, what are, what are two or three things they can do to increase their downrange accuracy?
0: What we preach in the store all day long—that—that—and that, I've talked about this before in, in various ways—but the number one, the number one thing that we see that we're, we're constantly recommending to guys when they're asking for tips you know, on how to get better: the more relaxed you can be as a shooter, the better you'll be able to aim, and. Most people, if they do a little inventory of how their hand, how their hands are when they're at full draw, there's some improvement there. Most people know that your front hand needs to stay relaxed and not squeeze the grip. But we see lots of people who are squeezing those releases, and if you can relax both your hands, that'll really help you center up that bow every time, rather than putting a little influence on it, you know, torque on either the string or on the bow, both of which are horrible for accuracy. So if you can just Relax your hands. You know, our recommendation is if you're just standing, talking to somebody and just pay attention to how your hands are when you're just relaxed, relaxed, your hands are not flared out. Relaxed, your hands are not tight in a fist. They're just in a nice, natural, relaxed position. That's the same position your hand should be in when you're at full draw, both your release hand and your front hand.
1: Okay. How, how important is it that, you know, every arrow weigh the same and all those little things that target archers fret over? You know, I mean, if, if we were to interview Levi Morgan, my guess is every arrow weighs exactly the same and every arrow is finely tuned and he's fretting over every detail. How important are those things if you want to hit 50, 60-yard bullseyes?
0: I mean, it's, it's definitely important, Tracy, but I think the thing to stress there is, you really have to buy some raunchy equipment for things not to be consistent. I mean, you can take even a mid-grade arrow and put them on a spinner, put them on a grain scale, put them on a spine tester. The like I was talking about with the bows, the arrows too are just fantastic now. They're very, very consistent. Um, certainly, there's some junk out there, but you 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 get into the decent stuff from the reputable manufacturers the stuff is very, very good. Um, you know, guys, I, I shoot almost every day at a hundred yards with my hunting setup. Um, a a grain or two at that distance means nothing. You know, people will, will, will stress out about, you know, a field point being a half grain different from it means nothing. So, um, I, I, th- I guess what I'm saying is just just get some decent arrows, Trust, you check them, of course, but there's very little to be gained by sorting through arrows anymore, you know, especially when you're talking about, like I said, mid-grade or the high-end stuff. It's remarkably consistent.
1: What's your most popular arrow in the shop?
0: Easton. Um, we really like selling the Easton stuff. Um, they've got something for everybody. They've got a really... Super diverse product line, you know, carbon, aluminum, combination of carbon, aluminum, uh, small diameter, large diameter, mid diameter, uh, hunting stuff, target stuff. And what we really like about the Easton stuff is it's the only company who is manufacturing in the U.S. So we always like to support that um, whenever possible. Sure. So overwhelmingly, we, we sell the Easton stuff. It used to be Beeman and Easton. Um, most people know Beeman and Easton were the same company. They dropped the Beeman name about twelve months ago, so everything's just branded under the Easton name now. But those are those are our number ones. Okay.
1: Now let's talk about your own bow hunting adventures a little bit. Um, just kind of thinking about this as as we're doing this interview. It, it seems you know we have all these new bow hunters, and a lot of them are probably hunting whitetails, uh, maybe for the first time or the first time with bow hunting gear. You've hunted all over you know, North America, you've, you've killed almost all the big game animals in North America. Yeah. If you were going to go on a bucket list hunt, what would it be? I always think about bears just because the success rate is so high and the cost is so minimal, but you know, what's your thoughts on that?
0: A couple things. You know, I, I get that people ask me that a lot, you know, that they'll, they'll see the pictures or whatnot, or, or hear about the stuff that I've shot, I suppose. And, they always ask me what my favorite thing to, to hunt is. I kind of, I kind of answer it two ways the, the, the thing that I do every single year, even last year, when I did very little hunting, just the way things were with COVID and, you know, having to be around the business with the unknown and people getting sick and things like that. I did very little hunting last year, but I still went on a mule deer hunt. I hunt mule deer every year. Uh, not missed a year doing that since 1988. Wow. Uh, it, it is my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing to hunt. Um, is it my most memorable hunt any of my mule deer hunts probably not but it's like I said every year I go I just like the combination of where they live how you hunt them where you're you know mobile glassing moving in on things Um, it's just I love everything about it It, it's my favorite thing to hunt Uh, your average guy can go out and do a mule deer hunt you know all pretty well all the western states have Mule deer seasons. Uh, a lot of them have bow hunting only zones. The tags are relatively easy to get. Uh, it's just a, you know, for, for a guy who wants to get out west and hunt, it's a great way to do it. They're definitely not the easiest thing to kill, um, but the experience is fantastic. So, so so that's what I do every year. So people ask me what my favorite is. I guess I'd have to say that because that's what I do every single year without fail. My most memorable hunt, though, is probably. Um, I would say my brown bear hunt, uh, on the Alaska peninsula, it was about 10 years ago. And ever since I was a kid, I wanted to kill a brown bear. And I went on a hunt prior to that, maybe five years prior to that, that hunt didn't go very well. Uh, that first hunt I went on, was a long hunt. It went 21 days, never saw a bear outside of a sow and cubs. So put some time in on that hunt. And that's always frustrating when you do hunts that long and nothing happens. But roughly five years later, I booked another one uh, this time on the Alaska peninsula. The first hunt was on the interior of Alaska and setting up camp. Uh, we were hunting on the very tip of the Alaska peninsula. So on the Bristol Bay side, sort of near cold Bay. and setting up camp the first night, we had a giant bear basically walk through camp i mean just just a giant bear and you know if the season was open which it was not it didn't open till the next day we could have killed that bear so in the first several hours of the hunt you know we already had great action so i was really really excited didn't sleep much uh that night so it was just it was exciting to see a big bear and be out there again well Reality settled in, and we went 19 days without seeing a bear, any bears. Wow. Um, the only, the only mammal we saw, we, we saw a couple mammals. We saw a few fox, and we saw a wolf. But other than that, not a n- nothing for bears. And so, you know, you're, you're you're living in pretty horrible weather. You know, it's cold and windy every day. Um most nights it freezes a little bit, so you're breaking ice off your boots in the morning and you're living in a tent. Um all backpack hunt, so no lodge, no base camp. So pretty you know, pretty, pretty physically and mentally brutal hunt. And we were scheduled to get pulled out of there. Float plane was supposed to come in weather allowing in the next couple days. So day nineteen sitting up uh, a little bit above the tent on a little knoll, eating my oatmeal. Huh. And I looked up Looked up in, the, uh, in one of the top of the mountains where it was snow-covered, and I saw a little dot. And, of course, I put my binoculars on it right away, and here it's a really nice brown bear. And he was coming down, you know, roughly towards, roughly towards camp. When I say roughly, I mean, within a couple miles, so kind of our valley or the next valley over. And Russell Davis, my guide, he and I took off trying to get, uh, you know, somewhat in the direction of where the bear was heading. We, we'd be, it had already dropped down out of sight, so we couldn't see it exactly, but we're racing over there and found ourselves in a, in a really big valley, big meaning, you know, probably a mile across and maybe two or three miles long right down to the ocean. And it was just filled with alders. And anybody who's ever been in alders, you know, they're over your head and pretty thick. And if something goes into them, it's pretty pretty tough to see it, even though we had good height advantage just sitting up on one of the ridges. And so we weren't even sure that the bear was in there, but we were pretty sure he was in there. And so, of course, we glassed it for, I don't know, quite some time, an hour probably, didn't see anything, and really, just out of desperation. I mean, it's really stupid hindsight that we <laughs> attempted to do this, but because there was absolutely nothing else going on, and we really had nothing to lose, we except your life. To split up.
1: <laughs>
0: well, yeah. yeah, I suppose. But uh, we split up. You know, maybe a quarter mile apart. And our plan was just kind of pick our way through this valley and use whatever height advantage we could you know there are a few boulders in there and knolls and things like that and just kind of work our way through there and and uh see if we could find this bear which is just it's just a horrible way to you would never normally hunt a bear like that it's just a really a dumb thing to do but i got in there probably i don't know a quarter mile or half mile pretty pretty good ways in you know to the interior of the valley and I was up on this little bit of a knoll. It's kind of a little clearing, little 20-yard, kind of rocky, just a few little scraggly bushes in there. And I was taking a, a look around, and when I say I'm taking a look around, it's not like I could see, you know, miles there. I could see maybe 100 yards. And the wind was blowing, and it was raining like crazy, and everything was just moving around, but there was one little spot in this tall grass that didn't look quite right. And so... I put my binoculars on it and I'm talking, I'm glassing 40 yards from me. I mean, it's just, it's super, super close. But I put my binoculars on it to see what it was. And I could see the hairs on the hump. So here, this bear was just laying in there 40 yards from me in the tall grass.
1: Is he sleeping? But I had
0: no way to, sh- he was sleeping. Yeah. And I, I had no way, no way of shooting it. I couldn't shoot it from where I was. If I dropped down lower, it would would have been even more hidden. Uh, My wind was good where I was. I couldn't really just the way it all worked out. I I couldn't really do anything. So I I knew I had to wait for him to get up. And so I signaled over to Russell. He was down the way a little bit, got him up to me and we were just going to wait this bear out. And, Things were looking really good. I thought all we have to do is wait for this thing to get up, and then I can shoot him. That's, you know, 40 yards. So quite a bit of time went by, and eventually the wind started to get a little bit funny. It was swirling just a little bit. And every once in a while, that bear would pick his head up like he was getting a whiff of something that he didn't like. And then he'd put his head back down and go to sleep again. Fifteen minutes later, he'd do the same thing. Well. Eventually, 15 minutes turned into every couple minutes he'd pick his his head up. So he was definitely picking up our wind a little bit. And so the whole time, I'd been kneeling on the ground with an arrow knocked up because I knew that, you know, when he stood up, it might be really a, a quick deal. So I had the arrow knocked up. I'm on the ground kneeling down. Russell's behind me. He's got a 375 rifle. And it was just a matter of time, so I thought, Wait this thing out till he stands up. Well, the wind started to get really bad, and now the wind was essentially blowing right from our from us to him. And he would pick up his head and kind of look in our direction. Now
1: <laughs>
0: you you'd see him kind of kind of moving his head and looking over, like what the heck is that, you know? And then it got to be really frequent. You know, every minute he'd pick his head up and kind of look. And then it turned into he'd pick his head up and just. So I thought he was just staring at us. Now bears have horrible eyesight. Um, and we had a little tiny bush in front of us, you know, a little two foot tall bush maybe, but it sure looked like he was just smelling us and staring at us.
1: But they have no fear, right? They don't really have a whole lot of fear of you. So, I mean, if that was a whitetail, he'd have been in the next county by now, but he doesn't have a lot of fear in his life.
0: No, no. So he is staring at us. He finally goes to get up. But when he got up, he got up in a way where he was facing right towards us. So all I had to shoot at was his chest, a straight on chest shot. Which, you still there, Tracy? Yep.
1: Which is not one you want to take, right? (laughs)
0: Which is which is not one you want to take on any animal and you definitely don't want to do it on a bear especially on a bear that, that at that time I was quite certain he knew exactly where we were. So I'm full draw. The bear gets up. He starts walking right towards us. And it wasn't like he was charging us. But to me it was a real deliberate walk. You know, just a real steady just boom, 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 just coming right towards us. I'm hunting with you know, Russell's the guide. I've never hunted with him before. The bear was already at forty yards, and now it was closing the distance fast. And I didn't know all guides have a little different comfort level with you know where they how close they'll let those bears get. So the bears coming, and I knew I knew that this hunt, this bear was gonna die in the next couple of seconds one way or another. Either Russell was going to pull the trigger on the three seventy five. Or miraculously, something would happen and I'd be able to get an arrow into it. But as it was, there was no shot for me. That bear got to 20 yards and, like on cue, took a hard right turn, gave me a perfect broadside shot. I slipped the arrow behind the shoulder. He went about 20 yards and piled up down by this little creek. So the whole thing just worked out awesome. Um, almost, you know, essentially the last day of the hunt. Nice big bear is nine foot three. And uh, couldn't have gone any better. So, and the and the fact that we went 19 days without seeing a bear, and then to have something like that finally happen just makes it all that much sweeter. It wouldn't have been nearly as fun if it would have happened on the first day or two.
1: Sure. Now, did he turn because he was starting to spook because of your odor, or he was satisfied that he didn't know what you were?
0: We'll never know. I mean, Russell and I discussed that. I, I'm not even sure it ever even saw us. It just—it just it's just, it just the way that it seemed. You know, you would think that if he did see us, he wouldn't have turned. They—they—they they, they, they wouldn't have much fear up there. But just—just uh, just the way it worked out, i don't, I, I don't know why this. You know, I'll never know. But it was just like on cue. It got to 20 yards and then just turned and gave a perfect broadside shot. It was just remarkable how it all worked out, considering all the other. Not so good things that could have happened in that situation.
1: Now at twenty yards, I mean, at what point were you ready to crap your pants? I mean, you know, I I mean, does it just not bother you? You don't think about those things once you're in the zone.
0: Well, 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 well. I of course get my bows set up for Schaefer Archery, so I I have. (laughs) have
1: Uh.
0: But uh, no, I I mean it's it's super exciting. Um, I don't know. you, You don't. You know not trying to sound like a tough guy but you really don't get scared it's just you just kind of i tell guys you just kind of If you do it enough but you just kind of go into autopilot you just get so focused on you know where that arrow needs to go that 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 just becomes your whole world and, and everything is super focused and uh it's it's an intense deal but but it's not really it's not really scared it's just you know everything just gets really small and tight and focused and you just put that arrow there and then it's over. And then after you, after I shoot the arrow, I'm like a little girl. I have to sit down, you know, I just, I (laughs) I freak out. But, uh, but up until that point, you know, it's, it's just kind of, kind of all business.
1: Now I'm sure you talked to the guide afterwards. At what point would he said, this bears mine now I'm pulling the trigger.
0: (laughs) He told told me two more steps. He was going to pound it. So, so it was, it was just, that's why I say it's just, there's so many, not so good things that could have happened in that situation. Um, the, the, the one good outcome happened and it just, it just makes the hunt all that much sweeter. You know, I always tell people, people often ask me for advice when they're going on, you know, any hunt, but especially their first hunt, especially if it's a guided hunter, you know, going to somewhere exotic to hunt. They always ask for my advice and I always tell them, I said, my, my number one advice is be ready for bad things to happen. Um hunting, especially, you know, that kind of hunting, that real adventure stuff, you you have to deal you're going to deal with adversity. You know, people oftentimes they book these hunts and or go on these hunts and they have these ide- idyllic uh ideas about how everything's just gonna be perfect and games gonna be running all over the place and you know, everything's just gonna work out as planned. And it it's it's really the opposite most of the time. It's usually a gong show and uh so much of you know having success hunting is being able to work through the adversity and just roll with with the problems and the and the surprises that inevitably come up. That's my best advice. To people. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think everyone having I've hunted in thirty four states, and I remember when I first started. You know, you would think of going on a guided elk hunt as man, this is going to be like Will Prebo or Michael Waddell, and and. You know, just like you said, fifteen twenty days of never hearing a bugle, never seeing an elk, whatever. I mean, um, a lot of bad things can happen.
0: Yep, and, and you know, and aside from just the hunting part, you know, all the the <coughs> infrastructure type stuff. You know, um, you know, like on that hunt, we were supposed to that on that on that brown bear hunt, as a matter of fact, we were supposed to be staying in a little hut. You know, it's kind of described to me like a little like a fish house type thing. So it's a hard structure. You know, they would have a stove in it and things like that. Just some, you know, some basic.
1: Um, Amenities. Shelter, yeah. infrastructure. Yeah.
0: But when we landed, that, that little cabin hut was gone. It, 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 was, it had gone into the ocean. Some sort of tidal thing just ripped it out of there. So I never saw it. Um, but that, that's my point. Is you, you just run into stuff like that that's, that's always a mess.
1: Out, and, of, every, uh, out of everyone's control.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that can go wrong, especially when you're on those remote hunts. You know, it's not like it's not like the people can check on that stuff every every few days. You know, they might go in there once a year. And uh, as a matter of fact, on that one, when we went back in there to essentially check on it or live in it. The whole thing was gone. So, um, but you know, we go on these hunts to to kill the animals, and we also go on these hunts for the adventure. And you know, if you go on enough of them, you're going to have lots of adventure and Like I said, lots of things are going to go wrong, but that's all part of it. Like I tell people, real life is really, really boring. So the reason we go on these things is for the adventures. Just be open to, you know, all the problems and things that come up on these deals. It's part of it.
1: I've I've discovered over the years that, you know, we live pretty boring lives. We go to work nine to five, most people. And when that gets turned upside down, like it does on one of these adventure hunts, a lot of people fold like a cheap chair. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose, but but it uh, if if you if you expect it, it, it's a lot easier to deal with.
1: Sure, for sure. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today. I and I don't know how I had never heard that brown bear story because uh, I've known you for a long time. But that that's certainly an interesting one.
0: Yeah, it was fun. So it's you know when you when you look at that big thing mounted in the trophy room, that's you think of all that that cool stuff, you know, that's why we go. So
1: in closing, if the guide would have shot that bear, is that your bear?
0: Yeah. Yep. I've, I've never had to deal with that, but as far as I know that you'd be putting your tag on that, that's, that's the way it
1: goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's an expensive, uh, expensive problem when that happens. I, I remember Dwight shoe, a guy you and I both knew. I, I, I think he went on two, three Brown bear hunts like that bow hunting and guides had to shoot bears or he didn't get a shot. I mean, those brown bear hunts are, are hard for sure.
0: As a a matter of fact, I ended up, uh, following up Dwight shoe on a, on a grizzly bear hunt in British Columbia. And because he didn't kill a bear, I ended up buying a license to fill his permit, uh, you know, a few days after he left. So just, it just worked out. I got, got really lucky. He had, a, he had a tough hunt, didn't see a bear, and I went in two days later on his permit and killed a bear and then spent another 14 days hunting moose and caribou there and never saw another bear. So it's just, you know, there's only so many things you can control, and sometimes you get lucky.
1: Yep, yep. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time today.
0: No problem. Always fun talking to you, yep. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks.
1: It was certainly great having John on the show. Uh, He's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to archery and shooting long range and uh, shooting under pressure. He really knows the game of archery. Next week, I'm hoping to have on Matt Bateman from Grim Reaper Broadheads. My goal over the next few weeks, (coughs) excuse me, is to interview uh, people within the archery industry who have new products on the shelf. You know, the ATA show, the archery trade show didn't happen this year. So I want to have a lot of different people on from the industry that can talk about Uh, the latest gear that is available. So hopefully we're going to have on Matt Bateman from Groom Reaper Broadheads next week. Until then, have a great day and God bless.